Hello, welcome to the New River Church Podcast. We're so pleased to have you join us today. We hope that today's message uplifts and inspires you. If you would like to learn some more about New River Church and what we're all about, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. I have been tasked with this huge topic of how to hear the voice of the Lord. So there's no way I'm going to be able to tackle all that tonight um, in one message. So, and this is not a typical sermon uh, because we want to do a little bit more of teaching um, than preaching. But uh, I'm still probably going to preach because that's all I know how to do, really. <laughs> so I have a lot of content and probably way too much information. So you're going to be drinking out of a fire hydrant. I I just pray something splashes into your heart um, and refreshes you tonight by by his Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the voice of God, we, we, there's all these questions like, does God speak to us today? How does, how does God speak to us today? Is it only through a 45 minute quiet time? I don't know who came up with that. Somebody came up with that. Um, that's how I grew up with. You have to 45 minutes with, of, of Bible reading and then another 30 minutes of prayer and then, then going 90 minutes of church and that's how God's going to speak to you. Does God actually want to speak to me personally? And then how do I distinguish between his voice from my voice and, or Satan's voice or what if it's... How do I know it's not indigestion? <laughs> Bad pizza? Right? And has he wired me differently to hear him specifically? And do I even know how that, what that is? So those are all the kind of questions we kind of hear with this topic, and I probably left out a bunch, but I'm going to try to answer those as best as I can, as best as I know um, tonight. So let's, let's go through them. There's six questions um, that I'm going to try to answer. The first question is, does God speak today? The easy one. Um, let's turn to John 10. John 10, Pastor Doug referenced this section of Scripture without knowing that I was actually going to start with John 10. So that's the Lord. John 10, 1 to 5. And then we're going to go down to verse 27. So uh, I have the ESV. So John 10, 1 to 5. Jesus speaks... And he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. When he has brought, all, uh, brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. 
and they follow me. Wow. Jesus says he's a shepherd and that sheep, his sheep hear his voice. And then he contrasts that to false shepherds. So what Jesus is saying is this. If you have become his sheep, you've already heard his voice. Right? You've already heard his voice. And so if you today, if you are, Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, you have at some point heard his voice and followed him. That's because upon salvation, he opens your spiritual ears to tune into his, this, his frequency when he saved you. So then all of a sudden, once you come to know Christ, his voice, and usually it's through the word, and if, if you've been saved, this has happened, where the word turns from these black and red letters to HD, 3D, 4K, 8K, I don't know. It, it turns on you, right? And you, and, and you hear it, and all of a sudden you're like, I get it now. He's talking to me, and it's making sense. Um, I remember in sixth grade, I had a crush. And... Um, I remember all of a sudden, all I wanted to do was listen to love songs. <laughs> so I remember at night, I had my Walkman, you know, walk, right? Yeah. Walk, so I, I, I remember I would tune in to 99.9 love songs at night. And out in New York, on my bed, before I slept. <laughs> and then I remember like, yeah, Whitney Houston or somebody would be singing, right? And she would be like, and I will always, I'm not going to sing, always love you. And I, and I would be nodding my head all of a sudden. I said, yes, I will love you, even though I'm not going to talk to you ever again. But until you, and see, strange how that happens, right? Strange, because, you know, when Jesus comes into your heart, it's not something you did. It's what happens to you. It's what happens to you, and you become alive, and you're like, yes, I get it. I get it now, because you're, 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 you've been at, you've been, you have become attuned to his voice. And it's not past tense. He doesn't say, my sheep heard my voice, but that my sheep hear my voice. It's present tense. So that means, yes, does God still speak? Yes, he still speaks. Second question is, how does he speak? Well, primarily through his word. Primarily through his word. Satan's first words are what? Genesis 3. Did God really say? Right. He wants God's word to be questioned because if you question God's word, you can question his character. Right. And so he wants you to question his word. And by the way, God didn't give us a comic strip. He didn't send us a picture book. That would have been cool. Or YouTube video to communicate with us. He gave us a book to read. So if you want to know his voice, you got to get to know God, and that's revealed in his word. His word itself says this, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God. And then uh, Paul says for, it's profitable for four things, for teaching which basically means, what is God's path for me to walk on? For reproof, which means, what isn't God's path for me to walk on? For correction, how do I get back on the path after I've strayed? And then training in righteousness, how to stay on the path. 
Basically, that's everything you need for life right there, right? All in God's word. And when God speaks, he will never ever give you a new revelation about himself that contradicts what he's already revealed in scripture. That's never going to happen. It's always going to be based out of his word. So God speaks to give application of his word to the specific situation and circumstances of your life. So he applies through the spirit to your life what he's already said in his word. And you've heard me say this, that the better question to ask as you're reading his word, as you're praying, more than what do you want me to do, is what do you want me to know, right? What do you want me to know? And most of the time, he wants you to know some things about him, know some things about yourself, know some things about others and the situation that you may be facing, right? What do you want me to know? And I learned this from the late author, uh, Dallas Willard. He says, if, if you believe God told you to do something, he says, ask him to confirm it three times. One, through his word. Back to the word. Second, through circumstances. And third, through other people who don't know anything about your situation. So, especially, it's not, there's no chapter and verse for that. Okay, this is Dallas Willard's wisdom. And I think it's good wisdom. It's a good rule of thumb because rules of thumb are badly needed. In this area of wisdom and discernment, especially if people who think, hey, God told me to marry you. <laughs> okay, so here, if, before you go to that person and say that, or like three things, okay. Word, circumstances, and other people who don't know anything of the situation, and you would save yourself a lot of problems from that. All right. Um, and then as you read his word, the problem is uh, we are facing right now the, probably the most biblically illiterate time in our lives. Uh, nobody wants to read his word. Um, again and again and again. But uh, I see that over and over and over again. Uh, so I just want to encourage you, loved ones, if you want to hear his voice, you got to know what he said. You got to know his personality. You got to know what he likes and what he doesn't like. And so you're not confused if you're hearing other voices because you know his voice, right? So I want to encourage you with a couple things. Focus on familiarity before intimacy. Focus on quantity time over quality time. The problem is like we like to get to the Word and we're like, oh, yes, I, you know, just January especially. You're like, I want to read the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible. I want to have some quality time with the Lord. All right, I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 1. And Matthew chapter 1 is a genealogy. So then you're like, what does the Jewish phone book have to do with me? Ah. And you give up because you're aiming at quality and you're aiming at intimacy. That's not going to work. Aim at familiarity, even if it doesn't make sense. Aim at quantity, just spending time reading it. Hey, talk to Gary and Janet Evans. Because 8 p.m. every night, without fail, they get together they turn off the TV, they hush their birds, and they open the Bible, and they read chapters and chapters out loud 
together. Oh, that's... And I could tell you, do they understand everything that they read? No, absolutely not. They're just reading and quantity time. And guess what happens when you spend quantity time? The quality hiccups out of quantity. And that, isn't that true in your relationships? That's how it works. You spend time with your kids. You spend time with your spouse. If you're aiming at quality, you're never going to get it. If you aim at quantity, you'll get quality. That'll come out of quantity. All right. I could tell you, man, there are, this, is, this is my Bible from 2006. <laughs> so, there are tear-stained pages here. And how did that happen? I was just reading along. I was just reading along. And then he breathes on a verse. And it comes alive. It just comes alive. And you're like, huh? I've read that so many times. That's because he's trying to get, to, he's trying to speak to you. He's trying to get to your heart. And he knows what you need in the moment. And so how many times I can, I can I tell you, that tears, tears have fallen here. And I look at the verse and I remember where I was when he spoke to me. And those are the verses I've never actually tried to memorize. Right? It just pounded into my heart and to my soul. So as you get familiar with God's word and his voice, you're able to distinguish then other voices that are coming out of fear, insecurity, the enemy, and his voice. Because you know what he sounds like. Right? You know, FBI agents, they don't spend too much time studying counterfeit currency. Because there are too many varieties. But they do familiarize and study the real thing. And that helps them recognize the false and the fake. Right? So get familiar with the truth. And you'll know when you're hearing lies. Right. So yeah, thirdly then, how else does God speak to us? Well, we know he speaks to us through his word. There are many other means when you read scripture. I'll go through them pretty quickly. He speaks through circumstances like he did with Jonah. He speaks through nature. Psalm 19 says God speaks uh, through his world and his word. He has spoken through dreams like to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel or Pharaoh in Genesis. Uh, he has spoken audibly to people. He has spoken through visions. He's spoken through other people. He has spoken through angels and sermons and music and thoughts and impressions. And this is, I want just, to just plug right here. Tomorrow morning, our sister Carrie Olson is here. She's going to talk about uh, Freedom Prayer, which is all about, uh, which is a new ministry we're actually hoping to launch here soon. The heart of this ministry is learning to hear Jesus' voice, and mostly through thoughts and impressions, because he does speak. And if we create space for him to speak, it's not us giving advice. It's not us saying this or that. It's because he's speaking into our situation. That's why I love about this ministry. And we're going to hear more about that tomorrow. So I'm not going to say more about that here. So there are many, many ways God can speak to us. Fourthly, how is God's voice different than the enemy's voice? we got to keep distinguishing between the voice of the good shepherd and false shepherds. 
uh, other voices that are not trying to lead you because a shepherd leads you, but to drive you to, f- to believe false definitions about yourself. That's what the enemy likes to do, for you to believe false definitions about yourself. Ranchers drive cattle, so Jesus does not say, I am the rancher and you are my horse. He says, I am your shepherd and you are my sheep. He doesn't drive us like cattle. It's a shepherd that leads sheep. But there are other shepherds, quote unquote, ranchers, robbers, thieves, strangers, that come in with other voices. And sometimes they sound like your parents or spouses or your past. The enemy loves to speak through them, through those voices. Uh, Pete Cazero likes to say, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's still in your bones. Right? Uh, we need his voice to lead us to truth. So the question is, how do I distinguish between the spirit's conviction and Satan's accusations? What's the difference? Can I tell the difference? I'll give you two. How do I know if I'm hearing the enemy, if I'm hearing the Spirit? The Holy Spirit, this is how you know, is specific in conviction. The enemy is general in condemnation. The Spirit is clear. The enemy's accusation is vague. So, tell me this. Spirit or enemy? You are a terrible person. Enemy, because it's, it's vague and it's general in condemnation, right? The Spirit would say, hey, by the way, Robin, the way you spoke to that coworker or whoever on Monday afternoon at 3.43 p.m., that was very rude and belittling. You need to ask for forgiveness. The kind counselor comes along and he's specific, specific in conviction. Uh, secondly, the Spirit always shows me Christ, the mighty friend of sinners. The devil spirals me down into negative self-focus. And if you're saying things you would never ever say to anybody else, and a false gospel starts to emerge, you must do more. You should know better by now. You'll never blank. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the enemy, spiraling you down into negative self-focus. At Revelation 12.10, Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. He loves accusations. He loves to make you look at your sin more than your Savior. And Satan will derail you through temptation and accusation. Both. What he does is in temptation, he hides God's holiness from you and how much he hates sin, he'll hide that and he'll play up God's love and grace in temptation. It's God will forgive you. He is so loving. You play up God's love, hide God's holiness. And then, you, and then when you fall into temptation, then he comes back. And then comes accusation. And then in accusation, what does he do? 
He hides God's love for you and plays up God's holiness and wrath. Right? You see? See how it happens? Very sneaky. And both works, right? Both temptation and accusation work. So how do you overcome? You overcome by Revelation 12, 11, by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. All right. Revelation 12, 11. The blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Uh, Martin Luther was tempted to despair because he was filled with accusations. He had a dream where the devil was just listing out a whole bunch of accusations, all of his sins somewhere. I don't know if it was a piece of paper or not. But he, 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 he looked at all of that. He's, he's tempted to despair. When he saw the list, he said to the devil, those charges are accurate, and you left out a whole bunch of other sins I did. But also write this at the bottom. Paid in full. You see what he did there? He went back to the gospel which says, I am more sinful than I ever imagined and thought, but I am more loved than I could have ever imagined. Both needs to happen. The sinfulness of sin, the graciousness of grace colliding in your heart. I'm actually worse than I actually know. (laughs) I probably only see a, if if my sins are an iceberg, I probably only see the top. My sins go deep, the, all of the layers and layers and layers, right? But guess what? God's grace is you only see the top, too. <laughs> it's, and it goes deeper and wider and greater than all of our sin. Amen? Amen. And it has been paid in full by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So how, and here's the bulk of our time, how has God wired me to hear him personally? How has God wired me? Have you noticed in Scripture God doesn't grow two people the same way? And he's wired us differently to be able to connect with him. Different hearts need different things from the richness richness of God's glory. We are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. Literally poema, the word that means masterpiece. We are his poem, Ephesians 2.10. And John Orberg says, he doesn't say we are his appliances, because appliances are mass-produced. He says, we are his masterpieces, because masterpieces are handcrafted. He's made you for himself, and he speaks to you in a unique way so you can hear him. We are handcrafted and hardwired to hear him in our unique ways. Let me give you a couple examples. Hey, let's head over to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. I want to show you between Abram, this is before he was called Abraham, and Sarah in Genesis 18. Just head over to Genesis 18 for a second. Uh, Such a beautiful passage, but I'll just highlight a couple things here. Genesis 15, God speaks to Abraham. He falls asleep, Abram, and there is, it's dark, a fiery torch comes in, and, and, and God speaks to him. But God speaks to Sarah differently. Sarah, let's look at 18 verse 1. The Lord appeared to him, Abram, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. All right, so these three men come, and I believe one of them is the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus. 
comes to talk to Abraham and then talks, talking to Sarah. And I want to I show you how, he, how differently he approaches Sarah than he did Abraham. Abraham gets this in the dark, in his sleep, this fiery torch thing. Right? But Sarah, he comes to him and her in daylight, very gently, like a friend. And she needed that. She needed that really, really bad. Let me show you real quick. Genesis 18, verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? She was hiding in the tent. Okay, so he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, this is what I know, the Lord, this is the Lord speaking to her. I will surely return to you next year. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening, where? At the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah are old, advanced in years. And if you know the story, God promised them a child, but now many, many years have passed, nothing's happened. Now he's coming again and he's saying this is going to happen. All right, verse 11. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out, and my Lord, as Abraham, he's old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say he heard her? Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'm going to return to you next year. Sarah's going to have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. I love this. <laughs> For she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. You did laugh. Right. Not only has she been infertile all her life, all right, she's now 90 and in menopause. She's doubly dead. And she laughs cynically. She laughs cynically. And you think, Sarah, the one chance you got to meet God and you blow it by laughing at him and then lying about laughing at him. And then she's full of fear. And do you see where she says, I am worn out? It means she feels useless, good for nothing. She hates herself. I want you to look at how what God, so we're talking about God's voice, but look at what God's voice doesn't say. When Sarah laughs, and he calls her out on it, but he doesn't say, how dare you laugh at me? I'm out of here. Don't you know who I am? Right? Do you know who you are? And you know what else he doesn't say? Yeah, you are worn out. You are pretty useless. You are, yeah, you should hate yourself. He does not repeat her self-hating language. I love the way he treats her. Some of us, we are so good at self-hating. And God's grace and his voice comes to triumph over that self-hate. Grace does not allow it because it's not true. Satan, Satan wants that to be true, but it's not true. Sarah's precious to the Lord. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come near her tent. And, and he's so gentle with her. He doesn't leave. And then in a couple of chapters later, uh, her cynical laughter, she laughs again. The, the name Isaac means son of laughter. 
But she laughs again, but it's more of a laughter of wonder at the grace of God in her life. Uh, Moses, so Sarah gets a friend. Abraham gets a fiery torch. Moses gets a burning bush. Elijah gets a whisper. Two sisters, Mary and Martha. Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then he bursts into tears with her. And then Martha, her sister, comes up and says the same exact thing. Master, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Same situation, same question. Mary gets tears. Martha gets a lecture. I am the resurrection and the life. Why? He knows what each person needed. Why does Jesus call the woman with the bleeding issue in Luke 8, Mark 5? He calls her daughter. The bigger issue than the bleeding was, not, was that she was an orphan of society, shunned and does not belong anywhere. So he redignifies her and gives her a place to belong in the family. One word from Jesus, that word, daughter. He knew she needed that more than anything. That's why you and I need to hear his voice. We need his voice. We need a word from him. And he knows how to reach us all in his own way. And so what I want to share is with, this, with you is this pathways, the sheet on your table. So if you want to grab that, This is from Gary Thomas in his book called Sacred Pathways. Uh, Jenny and I were at a retreat a couple years ago, and Matt Alexander is the guy that led the retreat. He led this portion. He actually amended Gary Thomas's Pathways. And uh, it's not exhaustive. It's not comprehensive. This is just one guy's way to, to show us that there are many pathways to experience the Lord's voice, which maybe you've never knew that before. Uh, Thomas's thesis is that there are several different pathways God has created for us on how to draw near to him. Of course, his word, prayer, foundational. We get that, okay. But we all love and connect to God in different ways. Right? Just like he treats Sarah and Abraham and all these characters differently. We are also different, <laughs> and we all love to connect to God in different ways. God created us with different personalities and spiritual temperaments, he calls them, which makes us gravitate towards certain types of practices and prayers. Right. So basically, these are all different ways. Each of us are uniquely wired to love God and how we experience his love. They are, again, not exhaustive. We may enjoy many of them in some, in some capacity, and they can change over time. God relates to us in different seasons, in different ways, and uh, we'll be sharing more about this with each other in, in smaller groups later. And I want to go through them quickly, and as I go through them, see if you can identify one or two or three, the, the top three out of the nine. He lists nine. One or two or three, top three, okay? That, that's going to be your, your job as I go through them. And if you notice, there, might, there is a space to write there, and those are suggested practices if you feel like that's how the Lord, the pathway, how you draw near to the Lord. And maybe that's where the Lord can speak to you. So the first one, 
Let's go through them. I'm going to go through them quickly. There's nine of them. All right. Otherwise, we're going to be here till tomorrow. So, <laughs> um, first of all, naturalists. Naturalists. Loving God outdoors. I'll put them all up there. Loving God outdoors. Naturalist feels uh, closest to God in the outdoors in the midst of creation. The outdoors is God's cathedral to them. All right. You might be a naturalist if you feel closest to God when you're surrounded by mountains and forests, rivers, the ocean, etc. More than sitting around understanding new concepts like pathways, like right now. <laughs> right? You are good with church service, but you would love to worship God by spending an hour beside a small brook, for example. And God has pet, met people in nature. Moses at the burning bush, Jacob by the river, Hagar in the desert, etc. And we, got our, we have our own naturalist in the house. Here, take a look at this picture if you want to go to the next slide. That's uh, from Tammy Sue. That's right. That's right. And notice what she, I don't know if you could read that. Uh, end of the day, walking it out, peaceful moments with God. Right? So it's, it's, it's not that, oh, I just love nature. Right? The earth is the Lord's. It doesn't say the earth is the Lord. Right? That would be pantheism. We're not worshiping nature. But that's the way we connect with the Lord, the God of nature. Right? And so that's uh, suggested practices. Uh, prayer walking at the re reservoir. <laughs> um, unplugging. Uh, when you read the Psalms, notice all the creation imagery. And again, that, that's where the Lord meets you. That's what you need to be spending time doing more of. Right? Maybe you ne never had permission to, say, to, to do that. God, meets, God can meet you there. God can meet you there. Secondly, traditionalists. So, a naturalist love loving God outdoors. A traditionalist love God th through rituals and symbols. A traditionalist loves God through the historic dimension of the faith. Rituals, symbols, Christian calendars, written prayers. And now, if you are cringing right now at the word tradition, all right, it may be because you've been scarred by traditionalism, which is different. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Okay? And that's a good thing. All right? We need tradition, the living faith of the dead. But traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. All right? That's the difference. And so we have tradition. We have liturgy in this church. What? Where? Oh, we do every Sunday. Look at the service. Right? There's a welcome. There's a song. There's a welcome. That's, it's, it's liturgy, it's order, <laughs> right? Some, some more songs, there's pastoral prayer, there's the message, there's the altar ministry, and then uh, closing prayer, right? It's liturgy, it's an order, it's tradition, it's, it's a good thing, living faith of the dead. Now, you might be a traditionalist if you feel closest to God when you're participating in a, a familiar form of worship that has memories dating back to childhood. You love Enjoy a personal structured rituals for prayer. You like reading books of written prayers. Um, example, Abraham built altars everywhere he went. Ezra studied, taught, practiced the law. And so if that's you, and that's how God meets you, that's wonderful. So suggested practices for you would be the church calendar, the feast days, the fast days. There's, there's reading written prayers throughout the day. 
Uh, I have a book called Valley of Vision, Puritan Prayers. I love Puritans, so I, those are written prayers. When I don't have words and I don't have prayers, I don't know what to say, I open that up because I need help. Um, singing the doxology before you sleep, reading church history are all wonderful ways if you're a traditionalist. Uh, thirdly, com- contemplative. It's loving God through adoration. A contemplative seeks God through quieter disciplines, solitude, meditation, journaling. They seek to gaze lovingly into God's face and be caught up in his love. Yep, that's, that would be me. <laughs> I would definitely identify there. Um, you might be a contemplative if you feel closest to God when your emotions are awakened. You sense God quietly touching your heart. So when you think of God, you think of love and adoration and friendship more than anything else. You are Mary sitting at Jesus' feet or David taking extended times of solitude. Suggested practices for you, if that's you. Learning some breath prayers. Do you know breath prayers? Lord, help. Abba, Father. Come, Holy Spirit, throughout the day. There's a great app. Um, I suggested it, suggested it to many of you. It's called Lectio 365. L-E-C-T-I-O 365. Jenny and I listen to it every night. It's a way to center on Christ's presence around his word in stillness in the morning and at night. And I need when my mind, I can't turn off my mind at night, that's me. Uh, it really, really helps me just to quiet my heart in the presence of the Lord. Right? A, because it's, I'm a contemplative, so it, it will meet it may not work for you because that might not be your, your pathway. But if it is your pathway and you're like, yeah, that's how I relate to the Lord, that might be a helpful app for you. You could do a monthly day of solitude, prayer, journaling, um, contemplative. Fourthly is a sensate. This is not my term, Gary Thomas's term, loving God with the senses. And this would also be me here. A sensate worships God by experiencing the nearness of God through taste, touch, sound, smell, sight. It's God's most effective inroad into their heart. Highly experiential, creative forms of worship like art and music, beautiful music. You might be a sensate if you feel closest to God when you're in a church service that helps your five senses come alive. You love Communion Sunday because you get to taste and see the Lord is good. Right? You enjoy art. You enjoy music or creative drawing to improve your prayer life. Right? Uh, my sister has uh, these uh, ESV uh, journaling Bibles. She has these spaces on the side, and she just, has, she just draws stuff next to verses. And, that's, and she experiences the Lord that way. Ezekiel, if you read Ezekiel 1 and 3 and 10, you can see him experiencing God through the five senses. Uh, That's you, suggestive practices. Writing letters and poems to God in a journal while drinking a good cup of coffee. Amen. Yep. Meditate on the Lord by looking at works of art, listening to music, or watching film. Uh, Henry Nouwen wrote a whole book on the prodigal son story because he was looking at Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. And he spent so much time gazing at it, he wrote a whole book on it. Uh, regularly, that participating in corporate worship service, singing songs of worship with others and individually. Man, I didn't 
know that I, God has wired me this way like, as a sensei because when I was, oh man, in 2021, I was, I was out, and I've shared this before with you. I, was, I couldn't pray. I'd resigned from my last church. I just couldn't see the Lord, but he saw me. And you know how he reached me? Through old musicals and films. And I didn't tell anyone for a long time because it didn't sound spiritual. But it was a pathway for a sensei. That's what he was doing. And now I see, now I can tell you, he was meeting me there. And that's where I would sob through the songs. And that's what brought me back to, back to the Lord. Uh, God used, that's what God used. Uh, number five, socialites. Uh, loving God and community. These are, uh, connect, you connect with God best around other people. Journeying with them, confiding in them. You love Acts 2 where the early church is sharing life with one another. Uh, you might be a socialite if you feel closest to God when you're with other people, talking about Jesus, seeking to grow together, doing life together consistently. Uh, suggested practices if that's you. Two to three close spiritual friendships for encouragement, challenge, and prayer. This is where we belong to a life group or studying the one another's in the New Testament. Finding ways to share your resources with each other. We, we have aspects of all of these, by the way. The point is, there are one or two or three that are really, really life-giving for you, right? And, and to identify that and to invest your time more in that, because that's probably where the Lord will speak to you. That, because that's how he's wired you. All right, number six, caregivers. You love God by loving others. A caregiver feels closest to God by being compassionate, serving others, even if it means significant sacrifice. Offering relational care isn't a chore, but a form of worship and communion with God. You might be a caregiver if you feel close to God when you're listening to a friend who's struggling, preparing meals for a family in need, or sitting with someone at a hospital. You got Mordecai caring for Esther, giving her courage. You have the deacons appointed in Acts 6. If that's you, suggested practices. Share your home, your food, resources, time, so that another might experience the reality of God's heart. Uh, invite others for meals. Serve as a mentor. Pray for those who are hurting. There's many ways if you're a caregiver. All right, I'm rushing through these. Hopefully we can talk more in our smaller groups later. It's number seven, intellectuals. Loving God with the mind. This person loves God through using his or her mind to think deeply about God, faith, or, and or theology. For this person, faith is something to be understood as much as experienced. Now, you might be an intellectual if you feel close to God when you're discovering something new about God you didn't know before. You love spending uninterrupted time in the study of Scripture or stimulating Christian books, and it stirs your affections for Jesus. It nourishes your faith. Uh, if that's you, suggested practices, study scripture more deeply. Memorizing scriptures, hymns, poems, quotes, uh, having theological conversations with others, listening to podcasts, reading books that stimulate your thinking about God. Number eight, enthusiasts. They love God through celebration. Enthusiasts experience God through joyful celebration, mystery, and creativity. 
This person wants to linger in the beauty and splendor of God and sometimes expresses their adoration for him through songs, poetry, or art. The mystery and the sometimes unpredictable movements of the Spirit are very important to them. You might be an enthusiast if you feel close to God when your heart is filled with God's love, shouting his name and celebrating him. You feel energized when you take a spiritual risk and you love to see God move in a supernatural way. You got David singing and dancing in 1 Chronicles 13. Right? And I do believe that our pastor here, that is him, right? We are called a Sunday service celebration, sir. So I see that. I could see you being that an enthusiast. I thought of you right away, Pastor Doug. Um, Suggested practices include writing a poem or a song or love letter to Jesus, cultivating a spirit of gladness and joy by making a daily gratitude list, singing worship songs to Jesus, especially in an awe-inspiring location. Find a naturalist and go sing worship songs to Jesus. All right. Last one is activists. It's loving God through confrontation. An activist loves God by standing up for righteousness and justice in the world. They are compelled by a vision of the world where God's kingdom is fully present. They don't like playing it safe. So you feel closest to God if you're an activist, if you are cooperating with him and standing up for his justice and truth. And maybe you get frustrated with others who are more apathetic. You, get, you would get irritated because you want to use your time to think through ways to confront evil because God's kingdom's on the earth and his kingdom is here and you want his peace, his shalom for, the, for society. And so this draws you to the Lord maybe more than taking a walk in the woods or spending an hour reading a book. All right, suggested practices if you are an activist. Build friendships with the poor and marginalized in your area. Join the school board, prayer walking and interceding in a specific geographical location that might be life-giving for you. Again, all these pathways are valid. None of them takes away from reading his word, studying his word, being at church, life group, or anything else. There are probably other pathways as well. God has, the point is this, God has wired us all uniquely because we are handcrafted masterpieces to relate to him. My heart in sharing this with you is that if you've been feeling guilty and you've been comparing yourself to other believers because they have a more important or different pathway than you, and maybe different, right, than your accepted pathway, you can be free of the guilt tonight in Jesus' name. All right. Be healed of the disease of comparisonitis. Be healed, loved ones, of that. Because the Lord has wired you all, wired all of us differently. And he wants to speak to us, and he's made us uniquely. Look at the different ways he talks to people. It's not just one way. So, does that mean you don't read your Bible because you just want to spend time in the woods? No, bring your Bible to the woods. All right? That's That's not what we're saying here. It's, Yeah, pray and seek the Lord and all those foundational things are there. But 
you have different pathway to draw near to him. So the last question is, okay, I get it. All right, Robin. God speaks. He speaks to different people. But how do I know he wants to speak to little old me? Does he even want to talk to me? You know, like this week, I can tell you, he probably doesn't want to talk to me. Today, today itself, he doesn't want to talk to me. Uh, He does. I can prove it to you. How do I know I'm close with this? Genesis 1, God is a talker. Ten times in Genesis 1, he says, and God said, probably to help them remember the Ten Commandments. But anyway, that's another sermon. And it says, he said, and God saw it was good. You know what that is? That is God's blessing on his world. There's no sin, Genesis 1. That is his stamp of approval, his love, his appreciation. That's his benediction where he says, I love it. It's good. He's looking at a sinless world and he says, this is good. I'm enjoying this. I give him my stamp of approval. And then we don't hear him say it ever again. For a long time. Until, until Jesus Christ goes down into the Jordan River comes up at his baptism, Luke chapter 3. It's like Genesis, like we heard last Sunday. It's like Genesis all over again. A new creation with heaven ripping open, God speaking, there's a spirit, there's water, a new Adam is here. And you know what that is? That's the benediction again. It's back. You are my beloved son, out comes from heaven. The benediction again. The blessing. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I love you. I delight in you. I adore you. You are my beloved. Uh, Tim Keller says, this is the first time since the Garden of Eden that anybody got and earned the blessing, the benediction. And Jesus Christ received it because he earned it. Right? He had the delight and the love of God. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. God is giving his benediction again to Jesus, who rightly deserved it. But three years later, in Luke 23, 44, it says this, the sun, it turned dark, darkness covered the land. What's happening? It's on the cross. Darkness covers the land. And the sun, Luke says this, and the sun's light failed to shine. What's happening? Heavens are shut, the sun goes dark, and there is no word from the Father. What's happening is the benediction, the blessing, the love, the approval that he had is not there. He gets the opposite. What is the opposite of a blessing? A curse. What is the opposite of a benediction? It's called a malediction. No word. No word. Jesus is experiencing our curse. And I don't know what's worse. Like if the cashier at Stop and Shop said, I don't want to talk to you ever again. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'll go to the big Y. (laughs) But if my family... My kids, my wife said, I don't want to ever talk to you again. That's different. And the worst thing that can happen is for God to never speak to me again. That's what hell is. 
But if you are in Christ tonight, you will never, ever get the curse word because Jesus took it on your behalf. The curse word was ripped from us and given to the Savior. The malediction that we deserved was ripped from us and given to Jesus. And the word of blessing, the benediction that Jesus earned and was his, was ripped from him and given to you. So when you turn your ears to heaven, God will always turn his ear to you. And he will always say, my son, my daughter, with whom I'm well pleased, because Jesus earned it for you. And so some of us this tonight, you're running to people, you're running to career, you're running to whatever to get this benediction. And God says, I have it, I only have it for you in my arms through Jesus Christ. And maybe you're like Sarah tonight and you hate yourself. Or you're plagued by the enemy's accusations and it is drowning you. Or you're like that bleeding woman and you don't feel like you fit or you belong anywhere. And my prayer all week has been that you would hear his benediction over you. That his voice of blessing would come and fill you. And I know he wants to do that because of the cross. That's why we have proof The heavens will never be shut when we pray or listen to his voice because it was already shut for him on the cross. There is no voice like the Lord's voice. So I close with this. As the hymn writer says, worship team, you can come on up. He says, he speaks and the sound of his voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing The melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. You know it? And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there. Thanks for listening. That wraps up today's word. We are grateful you joined in. And if you would like to hear more or learn more about us, feel free to check things out over at newriverchurch.org.